This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Miranda McPherson. She is a contemporary spiritual teacher, counselor, and author. Her book, The Way of Grace, she has also written Boundless Love, Meditations on Boundless Love. It's an audio book. Uh, the Way of Grace, uh, we will be uh, discussing today, along with uh, all of her other uh, activities. Uh, she has a uh, fascinating background, and uh, we'd like to uh, have her share that with us. Uh, thank you so very much, uh, Miranda, for taking the time to come on. Thank you. It's good to be here. Miranda, uh, we always begin by asking our guests to uh, give a brief overview of their uh, work and how they came to their work. What, what was your spiritual background in uh, Aussie growing well, up? Well, I was uh, just a sort of an ordinary girl from a pretty ordinary suburb in Perth, Western Australia. And um, my family weren't particularly religious people, um, so spirituality wasn't something that was talked about. Um, by my family um, or any, pretty much anyone in my community then. But I was always a little mystic at heart. I, I remember now looking back on my early childhood, I remember having a lot of very natural access to what I now understand to be non-dual experience and unitive uh, experience. And um, so, I mean, but I, I always remember kind of asking the bigger questions and wanting to sort of get answers to things that didn't make sense to me and basically I was put on the path because I was suffering you know which is pretty much everyone else that I know who's a spiritual teacher you know they got on the path because they needed to find resolution of their suffering and the suffering um, for me was a, a felt sense of depression feeling very cut off um, and I, I don't want to go into the big story about how that because that would take the whole half hour but long and the short of it that's what um had brought about the first level of awakening when i was really in a dark place and i was opened to what i now understand to be boundless love and so i knew that that was the deep truth of what i was of what everyone was of what really mattered and i understood very early on that the real purpose in life was to really learn to live from that depth of heart and that for that to happen there were many obstacles that needed to be addressed and so you know I started to study from that point onwards meditation I started reading scripture I started really opening up to anything that seemed to have something to be able to address you know how do we really live from that deeper ground I, I, I wanted to ask you Miranda I was reading about you and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the influences, uh, of course, were Sri Ramana, uh, Maharaj, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. also, of course, in Miracles. Uh, were these, uh, Sri Ramana Maharishi, uh, A Course in Miracles, these things that influenced you, uh, did they come to you or, 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 they, or, 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 or did they, you seek them out? Did you feel that you had, I guess my question is, did you have a silent desire for help? Dennis, Dennis, we've lost you. I hear Dennis just fine. Oh, I lost him. Bill? Oh, now I hear you. Strange. Okay, I'm well, sorry. We have... yes. No, no, go ahead. 
if, if right. Miranda hey, okay. is going. Well, we, can, we can edit this. So, all right. Okay. So, uh, my, my question then, uh, Miranda, is did these things uh, come to you? Did you feel like you had a desire and all of a sudden nature well, was I, what, I, is something I, hard work to find? Yeah. Well, I think really, you know, we're not the doer of all that happens to us. It's really a dance between our soul's sort of true desire or sincerity and the flow of grace that somehow mysteriously finds its way to us to bring us to what it is that we need. So I mentioned that, you know, I first got on the spiritual path because I was suffering from depression when I was 13. And that began a life of study and practice. And I don't quite know how I got to A Course in Miracles. It was just kind of always around me. And um, but I knew that it was something intuitively that I needed to somehow try to crack. And like pretty much everybody I know, it's not an easy book to crack. I mean, it's a great um, cure for insomnia, actually, for most people. <laughs> when you first start opening, it's like I would just conk out after a paragraph. I would really try to read it in my early 20s. And I was like, oh, I just fall asleep and wouldn't understand what it is that I was reading. So. You know, I think it found its way to me and I started studying it very seriously in my early 20s. And it really formed the mainstay of my path from the age of about sort of 22 until about 35. And that was also the period of my life where I was first studying to be an interfaith minister. And then when I was 25, my teacher asked me to found the first interfaith seminary in London, which I did. And there'd never been anything like that in in Europe at that time. And um, so, you know, all the while I was sort of working with the world's great mystical traditions and mostly their practices, as a young mystic, I've always been on fire, you know, to have a, to really sort of know, not just sort of these nice principles and everything, but I wanted to know how they really help us address the challenges of being human. And that was what I wanted to know. So I was sort of hungrily practicing with that orientation. How does this help us to live a real life and address the issues that we all face? And I found A Course in Miracles very helpful because of its very practical nature. So I was really plowing through my own consciousness with it in my 20s and early 30s. And I wasn't looking for anything else particularly, but around the age of 35, I noticed myself feeling at a bit of a, a threshold and I could feel that I wasn't really growing anymore and I didn't know why starting to feel a bit stale and now that I look back I could see that in my meditation practice there was something new happening I could feel that I was being magnetically drawn into this sort of void space um, and I was backing up from it you know I was simultaneously um, drawn to it and yet scared, not not consciously so. And I was offered the opportunity to go to the ashram of Sri Ramana Maharshi in India. I was 35 years old. I'd been spiritual director of the Interface Seminary for 10 years, but I was starting to feel a bit stale. And I sat in his cave um, one day. I wasn't looking for anything special. I had no special connection to Ramana other than great respect at that time. And I was opened into a transmission that has really formed the heart of everything that I'm about since. And it was be nothing, do nothing, get nothing, become nothing, seek for nothing, relinquish nothing, be as you are, rest in God. 
-hmm. And as that came or emerged in my consciousness, it it was a total cessation experience. All my concepts, spiritual or otherwise, about who I was, what God was, what the world was, it all just disappeared. It, it was as if I died, actually, but um, it wasn't a suffering. There was no suffering in it. It was the resolution to all suffering, actually, um, the deepest peace I'd ever known. And I was in this no state, no world, the kind of no other um, condition that I, I now regard as the natural condition for continuously for three weeks. And then when that shifted and more ordinary awareness returned, nevertheless, there, there wasn't a change. This resonance, if you like, of what I call ego relaxation was still there and it started to change everything. It changed my center of gravity, it changed um, the way I practice and teach and how I teach and um, it brought about enormous changes and um, in my, every aspect of my life. Well, you know, Miranda, I was uh, in Tiruvannamalai just a month and a half ago. Mm, two. It's changed a lot. Oh yes, it has. I yes. was I was also there, not around the same time you were. Um, mm -hmm. So it was my second time. I have sat in that cave. I have meditated in that cave, uh, and uh, it, the same thing did not happen to me. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. so I'm curious um, to, if you could say more about what it was like walking back down the hill from that experience and being back in uh, Tiruvannamalai. Well, yeah, well, I would I sort of describe it as BC and AC, before the cave and after the cave. Mm -hmm. BC, you know, all of my experience was flowing through a felter called Miranda, who had a lot of thoughts and opinions about how things should be. You know, I mean, certain things I liked, certain things I didn't like. You know, and a lot of beliefs about what I needed in order to be at peace, you know, and a lot of spiritual concepts. Um, and so what re what was sort of removed was that filter of me. And so when that filter of self, the one that we tend to think we are, is gone, it's just everything is clean and direct and peaceful. And there's no commentary. And there's no conflict. There was no struggle there is no tugging pushing or pulling i like this i don't want that you know it's all gone so but yet at the same time it was utterly natural just so natural if i can follow and, up dennis mm -hmm. uh, i'm sorry did you want to say more marantha oh i could say a lot more but i'm aware <laughs> of our time so at the same <laughs> time you uh talk about losing the sense of ego, sense of personal preference and all that. You are still an individual and, sure, okay. and you are still, yeah. uh, you know, you still make choices. You, yeah. you move to the Bay Area, you mm -hmm. teach a certain way, you call yourself on your website unapologetically feminine, uh -huh. which raises the question of 
word apologetically feminine mean. So, uh, so how do you? Let, well, I was walking up that hill with pink shoes on. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I have a wardrobe with pink shoes. And, but known for it, rather. No, but let, let me just sort of cut in there, just, because yeah. you know, I think we have a misunderstanding. We have so many spiritual misunderstandings. Yes, I want you to address that. That, that when the 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 construct of me, who you think you are, right? drops away, that then you're some depersonalized nobody. It's not like that. It's really that, you know, all of that just becomes transparent, empty. And so, you know, it still happens to a someone, right? It's just not a someone who's historically based. Mm -hmm. And there's not a defensiveness or a, um, a neurosis. that It's just not got that in it, right? But you're still existing in a particular location, you know, there's still personality. It's just that you're not so attached to it, mm -hmm. really. Good. I mean, it's the straightforward answer to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what happened to me was there was this big spiritual opening. And again, we like to sort of, we hear stories like mine and we think mistakenly, oh, I just need to go to India and have a big spiritual orgasm like Miranda did and then everything will be done. <laughs> and that's not how it was for me. Yes, I had this big opening, but then everything came apart. You know, everything that I thought, you know, was holding together who I thought I was, how I knew knew how to navigate the world, it all started unraveling fast without me having any say in it. Mm -hmm. And then I went through what, you know, St. John of the Cross talks about as classical dark night of the soul, which isn't, you know, what we think of it when we hear that term. Most people hear that term and they think, Go, it means going through a hard time. It's not really what St. John of the Cross meant. What it really means is it's this period we go through where all of our familiar reference points don't apply anymore and where we are asked to really come nakedly into the mystery, you know, and what gets challenged is all of our attachments, all of our familiar navigation points. And so that started taking place for me in the six months after that awakening in the cave. And I was really grateful for my prior study, especially of A Course in Miracles, where it talked a lot about the, the stages that a teacher of God goes through in the full development of trust, where there's a shift from, you know, having some access to being able to really abide in that condition more permanently, where, you know, things that you're attached to often get challenged and powerfully so, and that we have to come to accept that. So I, that's what happened for me. Everything that was familiar, my marriage of 13 years, you know, my tenure as spiritual director of the seminary, the country that I lived in, pretty much all the friends I had, absolutely everything was changed. Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn to relax, to mm -hmm. practice, be nothing, do nothing, get nothing, become nothing, seek for nothing, relinquish nothing. Be as you are, which of course begs the question, the perennial spiritual question, <laughs> who am I really? Yeah, let me ask you there. Uh, oh, that was in 2005. That was 15 years ago that mm -hmm. you had seismic shift. Uh, mm -hmm. And, and uh, often when that happens, uh, uh, confusion sets in, uh, mm -hmm. as it's been described to me. And uh, more often than not, somebody will seek out a teacher or a guide at that point to help explain to them 
what that experience is, what it was, how to deal with it. Uh, mm -hmm. Was that the case for you? Did you seek out or did you find a teacher or did you simply find it in books or sort it out yourself uh, well, at that time? It really was that the spiritual teacher that I had had up to that point didn't really understand what I was going through. Mm -hmm. you know, it was very loving and helpful, tried to right. be helpful. But they, I, I knew very well they did not understand this terrain. Right. So that was part of the dark night of the soul, of having to let go even of being able to lean into a teacher who had guided me beautifully up to that point in the path. And so when I moved to the Bay Area, and by the way, this transition point went on for two years. I had to learn how to relax into no self, being nothing and nobody deeply um, for two years before anything started to sort of coalesce in any kind of way that that was easier for a while. So I was, you know, just I had no fixed home for a while. I was traveling the world, honoring my teaching commitments, navigating from the US, from the UK to the US, going through the immigration process and learning not to lead from ordinary awareness, but learning to live into three very beautiful questions that I, I found myself, you know, learned to live into which is what's needed now. Staying radically in the present moment without contracting back into historically based Miranda who's trying to think her way through, how do I do this? But when you're not reconstructing an I, but when you're just purely asking what now, what now, what now, and staying radically attuned and obedient to the pulse of truth unfolding in each moment, that's really how I was had to learn to live. And then after that two-year period, I started to understand more about, you know, what had happened to me really in that cave and that this be nothing, do nothing wasn't just this sort of beautiful moment of grace that opened, opened me to a whole other level of reality and God consciousness. But it was really a practice for life to learn to relax out of the tendency to reference thought and memory with which to navigate the present and to relax into deeper dimensions of being than are here all the time, but often we're, you know, we're not aware of them because we're so identified with being a separate somebody who thinks it has to figure everything out. That's what's in the way. So, I mean, that's a short way of really sort of giving a synopsis of how these teachings on grace and ego relaxation started to form themselves. And of course, you know, once I came to America, I did seek out teachers that I could sit with and, um, you know, integrate various things that were, were coming through. And I still do sit with other teachers these days to continue that process. It doesn't stop. Let's... Uh turn to your uh, current book, Miranda, yet another gift uh, from uh, the good people, it sounds true. Mm -hmm. um, it's called The Way of Grace, and the subtitle is The Transforming Power of Ego Relaxation. Tell mm -hmm. us what you mean by ego relaxation. I envision well, I the ego <laughs> trying have. to relax I, I itself. Just have. No, that's not possible. Be nothing, do nothing, get nothing, become nothing, seek for nothing, relinquish nothing. 
be as you are resting God is the transmission of ego relaxation. If you just take that in for a moment, you'll notice it, it, it has the felt sense of like pulling all the plugs out of the soundboard called me. Stopping, stopping you in your tracks. That's very important. But when you really open to that, you see that that's a practice ongoingly. Because all the stress and the struggle and the fear and the control and the neurosis and the conflict is really ultimately coming because we take ourselves to be a somebody who thinks I'm separate, who relates to the stream of history as what we are, who's using the conclusions that we arrived at in the years naught to five to try to navigate the now plus trying harder. And we all know that's a very stressful and limited way of being. So we all have to learn how to be present and undefended, to just be here, not trying to do anything, not trying to get anything, not trying to prove anything, relaxing those tendencies to get, fix, become and prove, even for spiritual practice or enlightenment, whatever we think that is. And then we're actually available to a grace deeper than our mind. We're actually open. And so that's that's part of it. It really comes down to be here, feel everything, do nothing to change, fix, or rearrange your experience. It sort of resets you back to the primordial natural state in which everything that we need is already here. The clarity, the wisdom, the love, the peace, the strength is here. Are we here? Uh, Miranda, I have one final question for you, and then I'll turn it over to Phil. <clears throat> At this point, having had that experience, having uh, seemingly integrated it, integrated it into your life and have an understanding of it, uh, do you anticipate your awareness further expanding that there are states or a state of consciousness uh, beyond uh, where you are of currently? Course. Of course, uh, why, why wouldn't there be? Does and, and if so, what might that be like? Well, I'll tell you when I get there. <laughs> <laughs> but what I would say is that I, I keep learning every day that there, is, that there is a lot of different kinds of realization. There's the realization of boundless love that came online when I was 13 years old. There's pure awareness that is most non-dual teachers are pointing to. There's primordial pure presence. There's, you know, absolute cessation, which is what this was. There's a lot of different ways that God, reality, can express itself and know itself through us. And so whatever I've discovered, what I know for sure is that there's so much more and that I'm never going to be stopping from the discovery and being open to deeper realization and nor should you. So all of the things that I share about in the way of grace, which is, you know, a transmission and a map and very practical, you know, all of the exercises and the inquiries are time tested practices that I've been teaching to pretty advanced spiritual practitioners ever since. They really work powerfully to bring you into a realization that you're already in and part of the deepest grace the blessings and the love and the sustenance that we need to flourish and thrive and even address really difficult things 
like what what's here now with the whole coronavirus situation the the, the help we need to truly allow transformation through forgiveness and deep dissolving of stubborn ego identity and blocks and so forth and the grace we need to be more mature more grounded more awake human beings graceful human beings is with us and accessible so i really you know this is such a short period of time and i feel like you know that that's what i would really hope for the listener just take a look there's a lot here a lot more that um it's not just about me it's not about me at all you know it's really about what this transmission and teaching and map can offer anybody sincere who doesn't have to go to india <laughs> open the book you know engage with the practices that will speak to you if you work with them as they've spoken to many other people who who work with this and um let it carry you into the cave that's always here within you so miranda um you have this um what's uh, be nothing, do nothing, get nothing, become nothing, seek for nothing, relinquish nothing, be as you are, rest in God. That sounds simple. It's a beautiful formulation. And you have a 200-page book and mm -hmm. online courses, sanghas, and other mm -hmm. things going on. So it must be for the uh, people who come to you and read your book, not quite as simple as those mm -hmm. uh, eight lines. And mm -hmm. so what are the uh, obstacles? What are the challenges? Mm -hmm. What are mm -hmm. the uh, um, the difficulties that people mm -hmm. have, you have to help people work through? Yeah. Well, I take the, in the reader through the book, through some of the what I call the dense ego features that whoever you are on the path, we all have to deal with. There are things like fear, you know, the primordial contraction that any spiritual teaching is going to kick up and not to mention situations like what we're challenged with right now. So we have to learn how to practice ego relaxation with our fear, go towards our fear, really see what it's about, see who it, you know, what that hook fear is really hooking on, who it belongs to, and what's alive in the space beyond it. We have to work with control, which again is one of those very dense ego features that we all have. You know, every ego strategy we have is a strategy of control. Um, we have to learn how to relax out of judgment and to be able to discriminate, you know, um, truth from delusion and to do so with compassion rather than self-judgment or beating ourselves up we need to learn how to unwind from those messages of the past that sound like the bad radio station in our mind like our mother or father on a worse day the superego we need how to, to help to cultivate virtues that make us more spiritually receptive and ripe like trust humility patience and joy these are things that you know egos don't tend to do very well you know like <laughs> egos aren't known to trust except to trust their own viewpoint and hold on to it for dear life you know ego conscious is by definition prideful you know and even if we don't consider ourselves puffy or arrogant in an obvious way 
we all have a subtle pride, which is that, you know, we think I am the doer. We think we're the one who's doing it this whole time, which is a pretty arrogant presumption when you really ask the question, you know, what is it that's even causing me to draw breath now? You know, what is causing the rivers to flow? What is it that causes us even to be interested in a spiritual path? What causes us to fall in love with one another? You know, when you really explore these things, you see, you know, very clearly, you're not the doer, you never have been. And so this is a very important development, that development of true humility that isn't isn't a putting yourself down, you know, any more than be nothing, do nothing is not a put down, but it is an invitation into a, a, a level of humility that is essential if we're to let grace come alive. We need to develop patience and joy, and we need to learn how to honestly work with these time-tested transformational methodologies like forgiveness and compassion. They're given a lot of lip service, but you know, when I really get down and roll up my sleeves with people, I find that very few people, even those who've been studying the things like the Course in Miracles for many years, don't really know how to apply that in situations where there's been something really tough. So there's a lot to it. There's yeah. a lot to how we apply ego relaxation. While you're absolutely correct, it is very simple. It's not a formula. It's a transmission. But it's a transmission that is very threatening to our familiar way of being. And so there's a lot of resistance that comes up that we need to address and address with compassion and honesty. Mm-hmm. Very good. One final question, Miranda, speaking of uh, not having familiar uh, uh, underpinnings to our lives. Mm-hmm. We're recording this mm-hmm. in uh, the first week of April 2020. People may be listening to this years from now because we archive everything. But right now, we're in the midst of this global p- pandemic that is... Uh, deeply, deeply troubling. Hey, hey, and... hey, Phil, I'm going to have to wrap okay. it up. You can, you can wrap it up. Okay, I will. I have another appointment I have to run to. Bye, Miranda, Dennis. thank you so very much for your time. Oh, thank you. Good to meet you. Take thank care. You. So, Miranda, um, we're in the midst of this pandemic, and uh, for people listening in the now or in the coming weeks and months, um, w- when you've been working with people during this time, what is uh, two questions that I'm going to have to ask you to answer them briefly, but mm-hmm. what is the biggest challenge your students have right now? And what final uh, words would you want to leave our listeners with who are going through this? Well, the biggest issue is fear and understandably, because this is an enormous situation. It's bigger than any of us. And that, you know, when it's very uncertain, and when things are very uncertain, it tends to provoke a lot of fear and survival instinct response, and we get very ungrounded and scared. And so the most important thing is to make practice our priority, to find spiritual practices that help you ground yourself in that which is never rocked and doesn't change, and to take refuge in those practices so that you can reset yourself and remember that you're deeper than your body and yet at the same time we must learn to respect natural law and be compassionate and wise with the choices we make 
so that we give ourselves every chance to stay peaceful and healthy and more importantly even than that to engage our practices so that we may be spiritual shelter to others who are likely having a much harder time than we are if they don't have those kinds of spiritual resources finding calm and staying centered very good i uh not to sound uh, egotistical, but I was just asked the same question and I said virtually the same thing. So yeah. we're, we're in sync and I thank you for, for yeah. leaving, leaving our listeners with that advice. So Miranda McPherson, thank you so much for being with us. I wish we had more time. We'll have to have you back on the program. I'd love to. I've got a lot to say. I'm, so I hope yes, you your do. listeners. We'll, we'll do it again. And, Great. um, and for the listeners, uh, this is uh, Miranda's new book is called The Way of Grace, Transforming Power of Ego Relaxation, all of which will be uh, posted on the website when this goes up. Thanks very much and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, Philip. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.